I'm Jeffrey Rickman, and this is Plain Spoken. I'm a local licensed pastor in northeastern Oklahoma. I've been doing this for some time, and uh, if you haven't followed me yet, this is your first thing. I hope you enjoy it. I'm a conservative local licensed pastor in the United Methodist Church, and um, I'm aware that uh, it's a fraught time. It's a time when a lot of people are engaged in sense-making, and there's a lot of question about how that's best done. I'm not an expert, uh, but I've been following the denomination for some time, and I know a lot about what's going on, and so if you would like to understand what's going on in the denomination or um, how to understand how conservatives think through this stuff, then I hope you'll spend some time with me. The topic of this particular uh, segment that I'm doing is uh, the potential entrapment situation that's going on. I'm not the only one to have seen this. Uh, Chris Ritter famously wrote a piece in which he compared us to being in a Nickelback concert with one door in the back, and that's how a lot of uh, conservatives see it where they're just trying to squeeze us as much as they can before they let us out. Um, and so, of course, a lot of people of the institution and the left don't see it that way, and it's possible people on the right are wrong to see it or perceive it that way. Uh, I think it helps to look at things actually going on on the ground to discern what's going on. Now, when I started this show, I, I tried to have a, a guest with me every time, someone who could help me digest the news and I did that successfully for several times, but it got to be really arduous trying to find someone who is willing to be on camera because a lot of people are scared of being punished for things that they think and say. I've chosen to trust the system, uh, trust God in the midst of this, and just speak openly and honestly about who I am and how I see things uh, in hopes that it's, it's helpful and encouraging to other people who would otherwise feel stressed out and oppressed. So... Um, Within the United Methodist Church, there's there's been a lot of developments, complexity over the course of decades, to be honest with you. This is the, the latest denomination and a long series of denominations of mainstream Methodism from the beginning. Started off as a revival movement, turned into a large institution. I'm not going to try and recapitulate the whole history here, uh, nor the more recent history. Rather, there's... Um, there's a guy who did an excellent segment. I think his channel is called, is it Abiding Harvest or something? We watched it yesterday. It's called, do you remember what the video is called, TJ? Something, it's, it's one of his most recent posts. He did an excellent, and he's not a United Methodist, but he just explains the political turmoil and how we got to where we are. So while TJ's looking that up, I'm going to read to you something out of the Bible. I know that's not unique, but what we're dealing with here. Uh, and today's topic is uh, the the specter of legal action taken against churches that do not exit properly. And so this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I, this, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. 
and sisters? Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? The relevant section is past, but I just I have, I have to go on a little bit. Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Key phrase here. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you, this is verse 7, means you have been completely defeated already. Now, of course, Paul writes on from there because he knows that uh, the Corinthian church hasn't been completely defeated, otherwise he wouldn't be writing them. But even so, the United Methodist Church, I've heard a lot of people talk on these issues. I haven't heard hardly anyone talk about this passage out loud. So I think this picture would look a lot differently in the United Methodist Church if the threat of uh, litigation was not before us. Now, that's, that's not the situation. The situation as we have it, there are uh, developments in Arkansas and in North Georgia that I thought would be useful to talk about. So to begin this off, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pull up the UM News article, Three Church Disaffiliations Blocked. Ready to harvest. Okay, so we'll put. Let's make sure to put a uh, a note in the show notes with a link to that. If you want to see that breakdown of the history leading us here, the channel's called Ready to Harvest. We'll put a link in the show notes. Very high quality stuff. So anyway, you should see on the overlay um, the text of an article. Let's see who wrote this. This was by Sam Hodges. He writes on this development in the Arkansas Annual Conference which I actually took the time to watch. It was, I think, a five-minute, five-hour ordeal. I probably watched one hour of it. I skipped through. I didn't know it, but they uh, would later take down the video, or they made it private so that only certain people could see it. So anyway, I can't watch it anymore, but I, I will, uh, in the midst of reading through this, I will tell you additional things that I saw and heard. So uh, a special session of the Arkansas Conference took the apparently unprecedented action of blocking the disaffiliation of three churches while approving 35 others for departure from the denomination. During an emotional day-long November 19th meeting, so this was two months ago already, the conference voted against ratifying disaffiliation for three churches, First UMC of Jonesboro, Searcy First, and Cabot UMC. The churches had all cleared the requirement of a congregational vote with at least two-thirds favoring disaffiliation. So, Paragraph 2553 is the only provision left whereby local congregations can disaffiliate from the UMC. All three congregations faithfully went through the process and passed the margin uh, that would allow them to exit. But conference approval is another requirement. And in the special session held at Hot Springs Convention Center, speakers raised questions about the fairness of the process leading to those congregations' votes. What Hodges doesn't say is that the questions they ask and the method by which they did it was completely immoral and inappropriate, and they should have been shut down by the bishop and the parliamentarian, but they weren't. There was one corrective uh, that I saw, but the people were still allowed to speak, offering hearsay and rumors, even after the district superintendent and other conference officials had already watched them go through these processes. Another theme that I noticed, um, well, not only did they watch them go through the process, but they said they went through the process with integrity. 
So they already had the sign-off of the conference, but these people who came to the floor, it'll say it here later in the uh, article, there were people from the congregation who lost the vote who showed up when matching shirts to pressure uh, delegates to vote a certain way. But also there were people making accusations about uh, immoral practices with the membership that somehow got past the inspection of the conference. They made personal accusation against the pastor and the other church leadership. They made allegations about not being able to meet or secret meetings taking place. The, the conference should have known about these things beforehand. For some reason, didn't take issue. All these things were presented on the floor of the annual conference. And then what the, the thing that I'm going to talk more about this throughout Mueller's treatment of it, Bishop Mueller's treatment of it in particular, is all the emotional emotional language around this. A lot of people got up and just said, I don't want to let this church go because I have memories in it. I remember people who lived and died in it. And it's this, um, it's this notion that local churches need to be mausoleums, really. They need to stay in place, stay the same as they ever were, because we can't emotionally bear to part with them. Uh, just being unable to reckon with the notion that local churches change and institutions change. Anyway, let's dive back in. Nearly 20 U.S. conferences have scheduled special conferences this year. So far, most have approved all the disaffiliations on the agenda, but not Arkansas. And I'm pretty sure every single other one has approved every single one. I know my annual conference, Oklahoma Annual Conference, we didn't do what, what, what they did in Arkansas. I haven't heard of anyone doing what they did. They took all the churches that disaffiliated by a membership vote of 90% or more and allowed all them to leave in one group, but then they took any individual churches that passed the 66.6% threshold but didn't get to 90%. So any churches in between these two, they voted on them individually, and they had conversation about each one providing opportunity for people to bring allegations inappropriately the way that they did. Um, and so that's why only three of them didn't get by. It's they voted on them one at a time and allowed these concerns to come to the floor. So here's a quote from Bishop Mueller. What happened was people voted, and this is going to sound trite, but they voted their heart about whether they felt a church should disaffiliate. You hear that emotional language? Um, Arkansas Conference faces the question of what recourse there is for churches that cleared the hurdle of church members' vote and reached the disaffiliation agreement with the church conference board of trustees but lost. There's a picture of Bishop Mueller right there. He's such a happy fella. I would assume... They have the right to resubmit the disaffiliation agreement, or they have the right to go through the process again, Mueller said. We're kind of an uncharted territory. Now, he says that as the outgoing bishop. He's already gone. He's not serving Arkansas anymore. So one of his last deeds was allowing the annual conference to shut down these three and then move along. Um, the pastor at Johnsboro, Reverend John Miles, posted a video to inform the church he leads, First UMC Jonesboro, that the conference had not approved its disaffiliation. Quote, that's very discouraging, but y'all, it's not the end of the line, he said. There's much more we can do, and we'll, group, we'll regroup and we'll think about it. When we get back from Thanksgiving, we'll get together our ad board, we'll get your input, and we'll begin to look at our options for what's next. On July 31st, the Jonesboro Church voted by 69% to leave. So it passed that threshold, but just barely narrowly above the two-thirds necessary. None of the other churches seeking disaffiliation approval at the session had a close vote percentage-wise. Stay UMC Jonesboro is a group of FUMC Jonesboro members who strongly oppose disaffiliation 
and created a website and used social media to argue that the process leading to the church's vote had included misinformation. So that's that's a key term to be wary of as we go through all this content today, accusations of misinformation. How specific does it ever get? And um, well, we'll come back to that with Bishop Sue Halpert Johnson and North Georgia. So it's otherwise been unfair. A red-clad contingent of stay UMC Jonesboro came to the special session as observers. They stood in the back and they actually antagonized. I saw the footage. After the special session, stay UMC Jonesboro posted a statement. We give thanks today for a vote that recognized the concerns raised about the disaffiliation process. We look forward to the opportunity to start afresh, united together in our spiritual home to make disciples of Jesus and love one another. Real nice sounding words. The practical effect is, as we're going to see, a lawsuit and great schism. It then talks about Searcy UMC and Cabot UMC. It talks about the percentages by which their votes cleared. It was clear um, one one didn't want to talk about it. The other has pretty much abandoned um, the 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 church. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, there's a the background there. You can read the article on your own if you like. And then it talks about North Carolina, and I don't remember why. <laughs> I've slept since I read this. Let's go down to the emotional language of the bishop again. It it talks about the annual conference. Mueller, who retired at the end of the year, used his opening remarks at the special session to lament how disagreements have played out. Quote, I see this as the body of Christ being wrenched apart, not by others, but by us, he said. And before the debate began, the special session, Mueller asked those present to hold hands and pray together. Now, a lot of people will find it strange that I have a problem with a bishop emoting how um, he feels personally, he or she feels personally, or how people present will feel. I think that's a form of modern leadership that people have come to expect that's really not helpful because we use emotions as currency rather than reason or faith. You know, these are things, reason and faith should determine our conduct, not our feelings. You know, our feelings are quite irrational sometimes. They can be right, but they can also be wrong. And when a bishop intentionally wears their emotions on their sleeve, it's a bid for pity it's a bid for sympathy. It's a bid for legitimating their decisions, even if they're the wrong decisions, because, hey, they had strong feelings about it. I don't find that to be a very appropriate mode of uh, leadership, and I think it's really unhelpful in situations like this where um, 2553 makes stipulations about the circumstances by which local congregations should be able to disaffiliate, and an annual conference stood in the way and did not allow that for emotional reasons. And then he legitimates that by saying, hey, they spoke with their heart. That's their prerogative. We're a connectional system. The the real-time application of this, implications of this, is lawsuits. So what what's the fallout of this? Let me show you what the fallout of this was. This is a vote. Take in, I'm going to make it a little bit bigger here. On January 15th, you see that uh, they took a series of votes. They took four votes at Jonesboro First United Methodist Church. This, I believe, is the second largest church in their annual conference. You'll remember their first vote, their disaffiliation vote, took place with over 1,300 votes. 
I think, of the membership. Now you'll see when it totals up, 9 plus 629 is 638, right? So a significantly smaller amount, number of people showed up to, to vote. Um, and then they voted in a series of votes to withdraw from the United Methodist Church, put new people in charge, um, hire a law firm, and become their own entity by force. So uh, under threat of litigation from the annual conference, they filed suit first. Now, immediately after this, the day after this, Bishop Mueller issued a public statement. I'm writing you with a heavy heart to update you concerning recent events at First UMC Jonesboro. The membership of FUMC Jonesboro was notified twice, and you see that I said, how? That a meeting for church members called by Reverend John Miles for December 15th, 2022 was not authorized in accordance with our long-held structure. This is in the season of Advent. Can you imagine your church life being compromised by, by this stuff in the middle of Advent? Just a week, a little more than a week before Christmas. Um, so this uh, was not authorized in accordance with our long-held church structure. Long-held church structure is not a legal category. Reverend Miles was instructed not to hold the unauthorized meeting, but proceeded to do so. The vote which purported to adopt new bylaws was in violation of the Book of Discipline and illegal according to Arkansas state law. So there's that litigious language that you'll see is followed up with afterwards. In light of the events of last evening, I want to inform you of two actions that have been taken in full consultation with Bishop Merrill, the conference chancellor, the appointed cabinet, the other appropriate conference officers and bodies. First, the Arkansas Conference has responded by invoking the disciplinary process in 2549.3, that's within the Book of Discipline, to declare exigent circumstances. What does that mean? Among other things, this action immediately vests title to all property of the FUMC Church Jonesboro and Arkansas Conference Board of Trustees for the protection of the rights of the United Methodist Church and those United Methodists wishing to continue worship in Jonesboro. So what that means is they seized all of the assets of that local church, which is worth several million dollars. They're filing to, to I said they seized, they filed to do so. You're going to see that there's a reaction from Jonesboro. Second, following the filing of a formal complaint against Reverend Miles by the five district superintendents, I have utilized the provisions of paragraph 362.1D to suspend him from all pastoral duties effective immediately. 362.1 is the stipulations by which any clergy are brought on charges. I don't know why he stipulates D unless he's just getting out of, ahead of it. That one talks about how without both parties consenting to it, any of the proceedings are going to be confidential. I think that's him politely saying, I'm not going to report to y'all about what happens. Y'all aren't going to know what comes of it. Uh, this is going to be an opaque, behind-closed-doors procedure. I could have read that wrong, but I don't think so. I am deeply saddened, you hear that emotional language again, that we find ourselves in the current situation. No one wins, and we all lose. Most of all, the body of Christ and the mission to which Jesus calls us. I want to ask you to pray that hearts of peace will prevail. <coughs> I just find that so strange that someone is seizing assets and saying, I want hearts of peace to prevail. I, that just is so strange to me. And a positive way forward will be found. While it is a difficult and painful time for all involved, I remain resolute in the hope 
that is found in the birth of the Christ child. Sure was nice to bring around to a, a, Christ, a, a Christmas theme there. So I have a question at the bottom. Yeah, that's not uh, that's his nice signature right there, and that's my <laughs> crummy handwriting. How does any win, win in this situation? He's talking about how no one wins, we all lose. Is he imagining that there's a situation where we all win? I, I think the only situation that was imagined where we all win was the protocol for peaceful separation, which was uh, drafted a couple of years ago and was supposed to allow for an amicable separation, but that got thrown out the window, so... I don't see how there's any hope lifted up that that everybody wins, especially when uh, corporate bodies will not let reluctant covenant partners go. When a church gets together and says, we don't want to be a part of y'all anymore, and then the collective entity they belong to says, no, we're not going to let you go. How do we imagine peace prevailing or anyone winning? I think I think what's imagined in, in the church is the same thing imagined in politics, which is Y'all just need to lay down and understand that we are right and you are wrong, and you need to stop having your thoughts and feelings, which is a completely fictitious and, I would say, harmful and coercive way to be in relationship with people. Uh, so I, I don't know how to validate that. Um, the follow-up from this, I'm, I'm putting an article. Let's see, where is this from? This is from Church and Ministries News. I got sent this by TJ, and I didn't get a lot from it other than the headline. Anugra Kumar wrote this. I, I, I don't know if they're at United Methodist. They are trying to find a judge to uh, officiate over this case, and they can't find any. Twelve judges have recused themselves. They've declined to, according to the article, reside over a lawsuit filed by Jonesboro First. Um, oh, wait. A lawsuit filed by United Methodist Church Congregation in Arkansas seeking control. Okay, so Jonesboro First is seeking control of their property after the regional conference rejected its disaffiliation vote and suspended its pastors. So that's what we were just talking about. The judges have cited conflicts of interest and the need to avoid the appearance of imp impropriety to recuse themselves from the property lawsuit of FUMC Jonesboro. I don't know how normal this is. I don't follow judicial stuff. I find it really incredible that 12 judges have just said that they, are they all United Methodist? I don't understand. It just seems like something nobody wants to touch right now. And if you don't know it, there are lawsuits already happening between churches and annual conferences in uh, at least four annual conferences that I know of. The National Center for Life and Liberty is filing suits on behalf of groups of 50 to 100 to more than 100 United Methodist churches against their annual conferences. So this is something that varies from state to state regarding state law and how much they defer to uh, church or ecclesiastical authority. Apparently in Arkansas, nobody's excited to take this. So the Craighead Circuit Clerk's Office sent a request to the Arkansas Supreme Court for a special judge to be assigned to the case. So the Jonesboro Church also fired, filed for a temporary restraining order and a preliminary injunction to block the Arkansas Conference of the UMC from any attempt to prevent its congregation from using the church building during the pending of the lawsuit, the outlet added. So I'm going to bring up the language of um, the disciplinary language around this, not disaffiliation, around seizing the assets of a church. What's the... All right, at any time between sessions of the annual conference, if the presiding bishop, the majority of DSs, and the appropriate district board of the church location and building all consent, they may, in their sole discretion, 
declare exigent circumstances exist that require immediate protection for the local church's property for the benefit, not of the local church, but of the denomination. In such case, title to all real personal, tangible, and intangible property of the local church shall immediately vest in the annual conference board of trustees who may hold or dispose. So this is what the Arkansas Annual Conference has already done. So then it has example uh, applications. They include but are not limited to situations where a local church no longer serves the purpose for which it was organized or incorporated or where the local church property is no longer used, kept, or maintained by its membership in a, as a place of divine worship. So this is something that's already been done several times. We're going to talk about Bishop Sue Halpert Johnson. She did this with Mount Bethel Church um, several months ago, if not a year ago. Um, the, the, the key language here is where a local church no longer serves a purpose for which it was organized or incorporated. So I think what they're arguing is, hey, they're trying to file their own articles of incorporation and sever themselves from us. We didn't intend that they should do that, so we're seizing their assets. That's not what they were built to do. Uh, Reverend Miles, I watched a video of him this morning. He put out a video before Christmas in which he said, we still have amazing recovery ministries here. We're ministering to over 200 kids a week. We're worshiping Jesus every week. I think he and others would argue they're doing exactly what they were formed and chartered to do. Um, hypothetically, a, a, a court, civil court could, could rule that way. I don't pretend to know, uh, but it seems strange to say, well, it seems strange to file charges either way, but then it seems strange for a conference to file and say they're not doing what they were chartered to do whenever they are still ministering to the least, the last, and the lost. The lawsuit comes as hundreds of other congregations across UMC have voted to leave amid an ongoing debate over the... Okay, so it's rehearsing the, uh, the history here. And then it, it probably says some other stuff. It has some quotes from John Miles. It's, it's a worthy read. I'll let you read that on your own. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else from this. Oh, there was a final article that I just um, thought was emblematic of other stuff we're going to see here. It's about Cabot UMC. This was in the Arkansas conference. This was one of the three that um, voted to dis disaffiliate but was disallowed from affiliating by the annual conference. So uh, after they were shut down, according to this article, the senior pastor and part of their membership chose to withdraw from the UMC and begin a new community of faith. A lot of people would say good riddance, but what it's resulted in is just a fraction of people being left with this big building, and they have to restart, I, I underlined there, uh, a United Methodist congregation. So we have their superintendent, Reverend Dr. Ulysses Washington. Can you imagine having such a cool name? Uh, he called a charge conference where they are rebooting this church, and a gift was given to cover all of their debt and help them start afresh. It doesn't say the dollar amount, which I find strange. Um, of course, I understand why they don't have a name attached to it, but um, I think that this article was written just to say, hey, look, man, people are really coming together. They're going to make this work even when those awful conservatives just leave a mess behind when they didn't get their way. They took their ball, and they're going home and uh, we're going to make it work anyway. So that's Arkansas. This is the first part of a two-part thing. Uh, the second part is North Georgia with Bishop Sue Halpert Johnson. That's going to be a separate thing. I'm wanting to try to keep these things to 30 minutes so that they're more digestible. Um, so anyway, I, I would encourage you to go watch part two. We talk about specific misinformation that she alleges is taking place, uh, and I get to talk more about the uh, implications of of these sort of things being done. So at your leisure, go ahead and, and check out part two there.
Thanks for watching. I hope this is a blessing to you. Hope you're more informed and that this helps you feel like you understand what's going on better. All right.